Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Bible Study Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please, grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Let me ask you this question. What do you think? Is the attraction to Mormonism, is the attraction to Jehovah Witnesses, uh, Roman Catholic Church, the attraction to uh, Orthodox? Uh, like, for instance, I'll give you an example of apostasy. Hank Kennegraff uh, used to call himself the Bible Answer Man. He's really not the Bible Answer Man. It's a pretty arrogant statement. But he went from attending a Calvary Chapel at Chuck Smith's a long time ago, then falling away into... Uh, orthodoxy. Um, what would be the attractant to fall back from you know, going to a Calvary Chapel per se, and then moving into uh, orthodox? I mean, orthodox like on the level of a Catholic Church, right? Orthodox, whether it's Russian, Greek, orthodox, they have a uh, a system of sacraments that you must complete, and that accompanies salvation. They say they believe in Jesus, but then when they accompany and depending on the church you're talking to, but depending on the the uh, the sacraments that they require for baptism for salvation, then that all of a sudden becomes a works-based salvation. Okay, <clears throat> that being the case, why would I be attracted to that? If I'm, if, I remember Hank saying one time uh, on the air that someone asked him what church you go to, and, it, and he replied, he goes to the Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa with with Chuck Smith. How do you go from that to Orthodox? That would be like you saying, you know, hey, Brandon, you know, I got this great idea, man. I'm going to go run and join the Catholic Church tomorrow. And you would say, why? Is, is it the Mariology that you really in, or have endeared yourself to, that you really like praying to saints, that you, you grasp the concept of purgatory and you really like that idea? Or is it the fact that you get to crawl on your knees and light candles in order to pay for yourself to get out of purgatory? Is that what you are attracted to? What, 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 what is it? Or how about the Mormon? Is the Mormon attracted to the fact that they call Jesus the spirit brother of Lucifer and that when you get married in the Mormon temple, you make a covenant with Lucifer behind the veil as you shake his hand when you're married and you give your wife the secret name in the Mormon marriage? Is that what attracts you? Because then the Mormon gal that says, yeah, I, I want to go from Protestantism to Mormonism, and I like the fact that my husband on our marriage day in the temple, when we made a pact with Lucifer, that the, my husband gave me a secret name, and I cherish that name because that's the name he's going to use to resurrect me from the dead. That's Mormon doctrine. The husband calls the wife to resurrection, not Jesus. Right? Cause, and, and, and that's why, uh, you know, they, in the Mormon church, they, you know, they build on the wrong foundation because they're a cult, but they build on the foundation of marriage, that this is an eternal marriage. And we're, then when you, you're, you and your celestial bride get to go into Mormonville after you die, and uh, in Mormonville, um, you become your own God, and then you and your wife get to have celestial sex for all eternity, and populate your own planet. I'm not making this up, dude. I'm not making it up. 
you think I'm making it up. It's flat out Mormon doctrine, dude. It is so crazy that you and your wife that you have now will go and populate planet. That means you, you're gonna make millions and billions of spirit babies and then you, you populate and you become the god of that planet, whether it's Kolob or whatever uh, planet. Now, my question then is, is that what attracts people to Mormonism? Wow, I want to be married for all eternity and have spiritual babies. So what's so if Satan doesn't lure by that bizarre type of doctrine, that's not attractive, you think? What is attractive, though? What is attractive about Mormonism to people that don't know any better? What is attractive to the Jehovah? What is attracted for people to convert to Islam? What is attractive about that? When they're, they're, they, they, they hang people, they stone women, for, and they don't let them drive, and they throw homosexuals off the roof. Why would anyone in Western society be attracted to that? Or anywhere, for that matter. Okay, so the, 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 the religious aspect is the, the appeal of working your way to heaven. So you got that. It doesn't have to, it has nothing to do with the funky doctrine. It's the appeal of I can earn my way and this is giving me a checklist that if I do these things, then I can make it. And that's regardless of whatever religion. So it's a stairway to heaven. That's what they are. And people, and Satan is pretty clever in this, is that he knows that there are different temperaments out there with human beings. So he creates religions to fit the particular temperament of the person because he knows that will attract them to it. So you must discover what temperaments are attracted to what. What kind of temperament would you need to have be, to be attracted to Islam? Hate, anger, controlling. What's that? Satanical? Puritanical, yeah. Yes, they, they do. They put him in potato sacks and they walk around with two slits. Every time I see him, it reminds me of the Charlie Brown Halloween cartoon when they go and Charlie Brown, well, everyone else had the, those two slots and Charlie Brown had all kinds of holes all over his thing. But it reminds me of a burka every time they do that. I'm like, I, I went to Minnesota, I walked in, I thought, man, there's ninjas everywhere. And then I realized that's not a ninja. That's a burka. I mean, they look like ninjas. And again, I'm, it is what it is, man. And like, what, what kind of religion does that? And people think, yeah, that's cool to do that to women. Put them in a, a, a sack. It's, it, it, that religion is the most abusive religion to women on the planet. But no one wants to call it out. But my, my point is, now in Islam, you know how it spread. It's by force, right? It's by conquest. And when I was in Africa, uh, I remember being in very Muslim villages 
And uh, what would happen is we would hear the stories of this, that Islam would come in there and they would actually pay people to be Muslims. Yeah, because Africans, they were telling us that they don't have any money, they're starving to death, all this stuff. But Muslims would get come in with money and they would get it from Saudi Arabia or wherever Islamic country was funneling money into that country. And they would give people money to convert to Islam. And more importantly than just the money, they would provide medicine for these people's kids, like antibiotics and all kinds of things to, to you know, we take for granted, but th that's a life-saving thing to get an antibiotic in Africa, okay? And, and so they were telling us the story. So that's how they got their converts, and they, that's how they kept their converts in Africa. They would keep them paid in Africa. Well, think about this. If you're starving, your kids are starving, your kids need medicine, you can see how tempting that would actually be. You would have to be sacrificing a lot in order to not do that. But some did. Okay, so, so what you have to understand about the attraction to false religious systems and false doctrines, it's not the deep theology that you think. It's not that. It is, first of all, an attraction to earn your way to heaven. And somebody is telling me how to do it. That's number one. Okay, You have to have that element that Satan uses, an ability to make it on your own. Two, what do you think the other element or maybe multiple elements are involved in this rather than theology? Community, fellowship, belonging, family, all those elements. So what the cults are real good about they're very good at bringing the person in and surrounding them, but the surrounding is to trap them, to trap them inside the cult. And, and then, you know, if you're a Mormon, dude, they'll give you a job. You will work for, one, you know, whether it's a Marriott or wherever, they'll find you a job. Coca-Cola, whatever, all the stuff that Mormons own. The Mormons are second to the Catholic Church as far as money is concerned. They own a lot they have very deep pockets. Okay, so they surround them to get them a job. And some of the cults, like Mormonism or Jehovah's Witness, will find them a bride or a husband in the cult. Okay? So that's a relational tie. That's an employment tie. And they're nice to you. Okay? And they tell you, we'll take care of you. If things go down, we have all the resources and supplies. Here you go. And we'll give you that. So... The other category that's the, used as the attractant is to give the person a sense of community and belonging. They will do that for somebody, okay? So you have working your way to heaven, belonging. What do you think the other element is involved in this? Coming into the cults. What would be another attractant that's non-theological? It's not a theology issue. That what now? 24-hour marriage? <laughs> yeah, I guess, yeah. There's that. Um, the Muslims have that practice. Um, is it, is it is 24, 48? There's a three-day three weekend? Time? I can't remember. Yeah, you, and, and that would allow them to go on these little escapades to these other things. I know it sounds bizarre. No one tells you about this. 
but they, they can have these prostitutes or whatever, uh, marry them for the weekend, and then that's it, and divorce them at the end. You guys ever heard of that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of that's happening in some of those Muslim countries. It's a, it's a practice that they allowed. It's crazy. Um, so, you, so, yeah, I mean, so um, in that sense, you know, what Ernie's pointing out is uh, hedonism. That's just full-blown hedonism, right? Um, so you got that. Um, the other element is a mental element, okay? And since it's not a theological issue, Satan knows how to brainwash people, and the cults are the best. The Jehovah Witnesses are probably one of the best brainwashing cults in America. Okay? It's just bar none. They, 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 their tactics, their manipulation, their control, everything is done really, really well. Okay? So let me ask you this. In order to attract that type of person, Typically, typically, in general, what they have discovered about those who join cults, they are typically mentally hypersuggestible. Okay? Not all, but it's a generalization when they study the cults. Whether you're going to a small cult like, you know, David Koresh or, or, or a big cult like the Mormons or Jehovah Witnesses, um, you find in those people hypersuggestibility. Now, what is hypersuggestibility? Does that mean they're unintelligent? No. Some of the most intelligent people are in cults. You can have doctors and lawyers and accountants and, 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 and the upper crust CEOs right in the Mormon church. So it's not about intelligence. It's about hypersuggestibility. Now, how does someone become hypersuggestible? Are you born with it? Where does this hypersuggestibility come from that makes people pray, or, 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 or sorry, makes people other cults prey on them because they're they're in this mode of hypersuggestibility? Could be, yeah, that could go into it. That the the person's background lends it to being a people person or a people pleaser. They do. So if you have a bad self-esteem and someone's telling you great, um, and one of the tactics of the cults to build the self-esteem of the person is they put them in a very high position early on in the cult. And here's the interesting thing. That's the reverse of what we're supposed to do. We don't lay hands on anyone quickly, as Paul says, because there needs to be time to observe, there needs to be time to uh, test, and you don't put someone, a new believer, in a high position because they'll mess it up. And it'll go to their head and they can't control it. But in the cult, it's the opposite. They get in, put them in a high position. So that builds the esteem. So you can see then, if someone has deficiencies in self-esteem, if someone is a people pleaser based on wherever they're coming from, if someone didn't have parents, that, that person is vulnerable to hypersuggestibility. Because they, they want um, a, a, an authority, even though it's a bad authority, 
um, they're desiring that. They're desiring for someone to tell them the course of life, and the cults will take advantage of that. So based on the person's background, Satan knows what will attract them. So with Mormons, you know, they, they bring family to the issue. So a person doesn't have any family, they bring a family. But that's no different than what's going on in Compton, right? If, I, if, if people join a gang in Compton, it's the same thing, right? What are, they, what are the people that join the Crips or the Bloods or whatever gangs are down there, what do they join for? Family. Because their family's not watching them. They don't even have a family, but at least so-and-so in this gang will watch out for me and watch my back, and at least I know I can get support from them. And they'll defend that family just as hard as they would defend a normal normal family. So you have this dynamic that goes on in people, and that's how Satan works. He doesn't work through the theology. He works through the felt needs of the person. Okay, that's a big problem, the felt needs of a person. Christ is supposed to satisfy those felt needs from this life that we're living that's, that deprives us. Our life is deprived many times. We don't have the kind of relationships that we need, and we don't have the kind of upbringing we need. We don't have the kind of family circles that we need. There's a lot of dysfunction, correct? And you know that. Well, if there's so much dysfunction people start yearning for, really their desire is the nuclear family, right? Uh, 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 an idealistic view of what life should be like. And here comes the, the cult saying, we offer this. We all love each other. We all get along here. And it, it's very seductive. Now, here's a tactic. Once you use those aspects to bring the person into the cult, as what, they, what they've studied is they don't introduce theology at first to them. And why? Because it'd scare them, okay? So you guys know like the Freemasons here in town? They do the potato bowl, the Shriners, wear the little fez hats with a a Muslim sword from Morocco on there. Those guys are wicked, wicked evil. The Shriners are Freemasons. When you see a Shriner with a a hat on his head, that is a 33-degree satanic worshiper. End of story. There's no wiggle room on this one. That is a cult. That's different than the Rotary and the Kiwanis and all these other things. The Freemasons are hardcore satanic Luciferians. Okay. Now, I'll, I'll show you what they do. Most of your people in Kern County that are part of the Freemasons are at the Blue Lodge level. They're level one, level, or sorry, say degree one, degree two, and degree three. And that's where most of them stay. Now, in that third, those three levels, those people are not taught the theology of Freemasonry. But when you decide that you're going full bore and you're going to continue up your degrees, that's when you're given little by little information every degree you go up to, at, to where you uh, get to the 15th degree and you're renouncing Christ at that point in time, okay? So you, you, I, I've seen their, their, their oaths. They take blood oaths in doing this, okay? You can't, they can't deny that. 
So when you say, when you talk to a Blue Lodge level person, they say, we don't believe in that. They don't even talk about that stuff. Yeah, I know, dude, because you're not at the, their level. You're not at the 33 level. You're at the Blue Lodge. That's why you don't know. You might as well be at the Lodge of the Water Buffaloes with Fred Flintstone, right? <laughs> the Order of the Water Buffaloes. Didn't Fred and Barney go to the Order of the Water Buffaloes? Okay, I'm surprised I even remember that. Um, but that's at their level. They don't see that. So you go to up to the higher level, and then that's when the satanic stuff's coming out, okay? And that the, the, the same oaths that they take in Freemasonry are the same oaths that witches take in covens. Same things, hands down. There's already been too much work on this stuff. It's, it's a, a known fact, okay? Witches have said the Freemasons take the same oaths. Okay, what is my point with the Freemasons? My point is... When Joseph Smith started Mormonism by the demonic influence that he had, he came out of Freemasonry. That's why there's a lot of Freemasonry in Mormonism all over the place. And that's why in Mormonism, if you go to like Utah and you go to their Mormon tabernacle and all that, you're going to see Freemason symbols or satanic symbols. Uh, You'll see beehives. You'll see the... um, uh, what else? Uh, all seeing eye of Osiris, those kinds of things. Um, there's a lot of uh, uh, sexual symbols that abound. You know the, the the symbol of the Masons. You have you seen the symbol of the Masons? Yeah, you know what, the the compass and the rule. It's not a compass, and that's not a rule. When you see it next time, look at it because it's not a compass and it's not a rule. I don't know if I can I don't know if I can even say it. Let's go let's let's set one back and maybe you'll catch it. In pagan rituals, the way you worship the pagan gods is through the sex act, okay? And the, and, and the sex act communicates the spiritual power that you receive from that sex act, where there was a temple prostitute that you went to to worship that god, or you did that for fertility, for your land, or whatever. But the sex act is always prevalent in fertility gods and paganism and witchcraft and Satanism and Freemasons, so that Freemason symbol is a picture of a sex act with the G in the middle, stands for the great architect of the universe, and that you derived your power from that. Now think about it. You're not, you're not catching it? Don't say anything. Raise your hand if you understand the sex act. Do you, do you see the sex act in the symbol? Now, someone's over there. Uh, that's what it's not about. Why do they have a beehive? Why is that? For busy bees? Bees are a symbol in paganism of fertility. And the Mormons have it all over their stuff. So do, so do the, the, the Freemasons. Okay, but what does Freemasonry offer to people? Fraternity. 
fraternity. Oh, what's the female version of the Freemasons? The Eastern Star. Sorority. Sorority. That is about as Luciferian as you could possibly get. Okay? But the attractant, as you can see, is, hey, they provide belonging. They provide a community. But the cults and Satan knows this. Don't introduce the doctrine at first. Keep it from the lower echelon. Don't tell anybody in the lower echelon. But as we go up level by level, and every time they go up level by level, we put our clamps into them to where they can't leave. And then once we have our clamps in them, then we can reveal this information. And every time we reveal more information, it entraps them for the information that they know, and they make blood oaths that if they, they, they um, disclose what is going on, then uh, out go, uh, they make the blood oath of uh, slicing their throat and their stomach, saying, if I reveal anything that I have learned, then uh, may, may the dogs eat my bowels, my disembodied bowels, and my head be cut off by the blood oath, by doing those things, those movements, which witches do the same thing. Okay, so as they go up a level, they entrap and trap, and then they give more information, more Luciferian information, more, more. It is called secret knowledge. That's actually the definition of a cult, a cult of secret knowledge, revealing secret knowledge. So in the cults, like the Mormons, you ask the average Mormon, do you believe that Jesus is spirit bird of Lucifer? They have no clue. They don't know because Joseph Smith realized he was going to do the same paradigm in Mormonism. You're not going to be told that kind of stuff until you decide to be married in the temple and you make all kinds of vows and work your way up, then you will be revealed that. And only those Mormons that are revealed those things and work up the way, and there's a lot of things to do, can become a god. But you ask the average Mormon that you work with, you believe you're going to become a god? They're going to say no. Because they haven't been told that. They're at the Blue Lodge level, so to speak, right? It's not until you get to the higher levels. I've even talked to the Mormon kids that come to your door. They don't have a clue. They don't have a clue about their own doctrine. Why? They're kept in the dark for a reason, okay? Jehovah Witnesses do the same thing. Roman Catholicism does the same thing. How do you know, Brent? Because I grew up that way. How do you think the Roman Catholics control 2 billion people on the planet? You want to know how? They don't give them the word of God. They make them dependent on the priests, which is Nicolaitanism. And they make it dependent on the priests. And so when you go to a Catholic church, they don't give out Bibles. They give out verses. And most of the time, the verses are out of context. A reading from the Apostle Paul, a reading from the book of James. And you're sitting there, and you're like, I don't know what that means. It's just whatever, whatever. It's always out of context, and no one comments on the verse. So the Bible is kept away. In fact, the teaching magisterium of the Vatican says it is not proper for an individual Catholic to read their Bible on their own. It must be properly interpreted by the teaching magistrate of the Roman Catholic Church. That's official doctrine. But what is that? That's Luciferian. We tell you in the Bible, or from Christianity, true Christianity, there's the Bible, go read it. It's all yours. There's nothing to hide. Go for it. They don't keep, they keep it away as we properly interpret it. Or that's the same thing with the Mormons, as we interpret the King James from our vantage point. So in these cults, the Bible is manipulated and kept away from the people. 
That's why, now let's move to Protestantism. It's a very satanic thing to do in Protestantism that doesn't have all the trappings of a cult, but when the word of God is kept away from people. How so? How do you think in a modern-day Protestant church, the word of God is kept away from people? Even though they have their own Bibles, and they can go read it. How, what's, what's going on in the church service? What do you think's happening? How would you design, if, if you were a devil, okay? Remember, what, didn't uh, Paul Harvey said, if I was the devil? Okay, so play Paul Harvey. If I was the devil, and I want to keep the word of God out of a church, what would I do? I tell them what they want to hear, good. I'm going to only preach certain portions of the Bible. I'm going to cherry pick my way through. I'm not going to go verse by verse. No way, because verse by verse forces the pastor in lockdown to he's got to deal with every verse. So the, the, the church will go topical, okay? It goes topical instead of, hey, we're going through the book of Daniel, or hey, we're going through Exodus, or whatever it is. We're going to go topical. And that way, that allows the pastor to cherry pick through what he wants to do. Second method, if I want to keep the word of God from people, then I stay at probably a third or fourth grade level in my teaching. Okay? That's intentional. So you go to a church, and all they preach is, you need Jesus, you need Jesus, Jesus loves you, you need Jesus, Jesus loves you, you need Jesus, Jesus loves you. Okay, I get that. But what happens, what happens after I'm saved? What do I do with that? Well, that's what Stephen Furtick will tell you. Well, you don't belong here anymore. This church is not for you. If you want something deeper, I'm sorry. You're going to have to do your own study on your own. You see how that's subtle? We're going to, we're going to turn our services into evangelism. You get what I'm saying? The church is not for evangelism. Evangelism is the great commission that goes on the outside, not on the inside. What happens on Sunday morning is for the equipping of the saints and the maturing of the saints. That's, the pro- that's how you do it, right? And that's what churches don't do. So if I'm, I'm, a, if I'm the devil, that's what I would do. And then I, the other thing I would do, it was I'd, I'd make our music about 40 to 45 minutes. I would. And I would play a myriad of songs, especially ones that continue to repeat. And I would then bump up the volume to about 90 to 95 decibels. Why would I do that? Because I can put people in trances by the volume of the music. That's why when you go into churches and people have to wear earplugs, I know what that pastor's up to. It's intentional. You shouldn't have to wear earplugs in a church. But the reason is, and we have found this out in studying music, and this goes all the way to the ancient Greeks and the pagans who worshiped the pagan gods. They would use music to get the people in an altered state of consciousness and then absolutely lose control and then have all these people in a frenzy um, being controlled by demonic, actually. But music can get you there. Drugs can get you there. But music can get you there. Uh, let, me, let me ask you this. Does Satan know anything about music? He, he, he was the choir director. So 
he uses music. So, so I'm going to bump up the volume uh, over 90, 95 decibels. I'll do that. And then when you're all messed up after 45, uh, 45 minutes of music and you can't hear yourself even think anymore and you've been dancing around like you're in a concert, then I'm going to come up there and I'm going to tell you what you want to hear for 20 minutes. And you know what will happen? Because you're in an altered state of consciousness, a lot of people will get that way. Not everybody, but some people will get that way. I can pretty much tell you anything I want to, and you'll say, that guy's right. You will become, in the services, hyper-suggestible. That is what two-bit carnies do at the Kern County Fair. It's a technique. It's a total technique, what they're doing. And so basically with the music, they can hypnotize the people. And then the guy gets up there and can say anything he wants to say. If I was a devil, that's how I'd run the services. Now ask yourself, do you see a lot of that? Oh, not making it up. The fact is this has been studied in cults. And when you see it in Protestantism and these people bringing cultic methodologies, I'm like, either you're willfully ignorant of this and you're just, you don't know, have any clue, or you are doing this intentionally, aren't you? So it's one or the other, okay? One, the one is, okay, uh, they're ignorant. They put their finger in the wind, Where, what's everybody doing? Okay, I'll do that. And they do that. But the other ones, I think, are intentional. And they know good and well. You go to some of those hyper-charismatic um, uh, concert, not concert, but uh, you know, like a Benny Hinn type of uh, a crusade or something like that. They'll do that. They'll play long, long periods of music, long periods of music, and then he gets up there and doesn't say anything. And then, oh, come on up and get healed. And it's just a farce. Okay, so that being the case, let me let me add, let's see if you have any questions so far on on how Satan uses false religions. Okay. Yes, ma'am. You get a mic. Thank you, dear. Not only the loudness of the music, they're also singing Bethel. Yes. And Hillsong. Hillsong. And they're beautiful music, but they're all wrong. And the last church I came from, they sang both and many others, and no one wanted to talk about it. No. How, here's my thing. Um, let me ask you this about music. How do you divorce music from the band's personal life? Hillsong's a cult. You guys know that. Bethel is a cult, right? Bethel Redding is a, 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 the, one of the most modern-day cults we've ever seen. Well, what do you mean? Let's just bring up one issue. Bill Johnson does not believe in the incarnation of the Messiah, he said he was simply a man when he came. He ceased to be God, became a man, and then again went back to be uh, God again. That's unbiblical. The incarnation, he is the God-man. That's, that's it. That's a killer right there. You're a cult if you believe that. Okay? Hillsong, same thing. All kinds of wackadoo. They're word of faith. Okay? And now all the scandals coming out, they hit a molestation case. There's all kinds of people uh, coming out with sex scandals and all kinds of junk going out with Hillsong. Um, and so I'm going to play a, a group from a cult 
that has all kinds of sexual impropriety, what am I saying if I play that song in my service? I must be passively or tacitly condoning it. And that's why we don't play Hillsong. And that's why we don't play Bethel. Because I don't want to be associated to that. But I guess to other people, they don't care, man. Whatever works, man. Whatever gets a liver quiver in the people, and they like it. But they, yeah, but what if, here's the thing. Uh, music people, music people. Who Remember the, the guy that used to be an old-fashioned uh, gospel singer, then he came out gay? <laughs> Ray Bolt, is it Ray Bolt? Okay, Ray Bolt. Do you remember Ray Bolt? I'm not going to play anything from Ray Bolt. He came out, he came out as, as, as a homosexual now. He's in sin. I hope he repents. I hope he comes back into the fold. You know, he's in apostasy. But you can't play something from him or some of these other people. I don't know, off the top of my head. I'm not good with music. But they, they start out good, and then they apostatize. And then, and then, oh, well, we like their songs, but I know they're, 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 pra- they're practicing lesbian. I... No, no, you can't do that. Even if you did and you were ignorant, then fine, you're ignorant. But if you know full well what these people are up to, you're tacitly given approval to that. Now, now think about some of the lyrics. Some of the lyrics that people sing, they're not biblical. They're just not. They make, you know, they'll say Jesus went into hell and fought a battle in hell. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? That's word of faith. Uh, you know, th- stuff like that. Um, so anyway, I, I don't get it, Karen. I don't get it. I, I don't understand how anyone can turn a blind eye to that. Um, but it, it happens. And I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, go for it. Sorry, missed you. So does this concept kind of apply to any kind of music and concert? Because especially like especially, secular music, or yeah, just because the loudness and you're talking about how it kind of gets yeah, you. Yeah, the loudness is, is intentional in any kind of music. You know, any anywhere, um, what they've studied. And again, I'm not a music expert, but I, but when I studied what they do to put people into an altered state of consciousness, the reason they play it so loud is to induce that. It has a psychological effect on them. It mellows them out or it just gets them into the groove. It gets them to do what they want them to do. Um, and, and so it's a psychological thing. Now, you know, I don't know if a heavy metal band, you know, like Black Sabbath is saying, we're going to, you know, I don't know. I, I, they want their ears to bleed. I don't know. I, I don't know what their point is, you know, because, you know, you, the mega death or whatever is going to blow your ears out. I don't know if they're actually doing that on purpose. It's just kind of what we do type of thing. But studies show that any environment that does that to you puts you in an altered state of consciousness. Now, okay, let me ask you this. What did they do to the Gitmo uh, 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 people, the, the d- detainees in Gitmo? What would they do to them? They would turn loud music on, actually heavy metal music on them in their cells. If they're wanting a confession, because why? Why do they do that? Why would they turn on music, heavy metal, loud? Because it starts messing you up. You get into altered state of consciousness, and you're more hyper-suggestible. So, you know, 12 hours in a cell, and they're pumping, you know, Megadeth to you, and you come out, and now you're hyper-suggestible. Tell us what you know. You see what I'm saying? Tell us what you know. And then it's, it's easier to elicit information out of that. 
I'm not saying everyone does it on purpose. I'm just saying when they do the studies on music, that's what they find out. So I don't get it when the phenomenon started happening in the churches and they started playing the music so loud, I had to have eardrums, or anyone does, walking into the place. That's ridiculous. That is absolutely ridiculous. What do you think the Apostle Paul would say if he walked into a place like that? And then they have a smoke machine on the front. What do you think he would say? Oh, my land. You know what he would say. Okay, good question, though. So whether they know it or not, something's happening. Um, Oh, and also the beat. The beat in music puts people in a hypnotic state. So you know, you know, like the old Bugs Bunny cartoons, and they would have the cannibals, and he was—they're boiling Bugs Bunny, and then dun 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 dun, and there would be this this. Remember that? I'm using a lot of things from my 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 cartoons of Bugs Bunny. Even Disneyland had it. Now they've removed it because they got to be politically correct now at the Jungle Cruise. But why is it that in pagan cultures, they would always have a drum and boom, 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 boom. And then they would start dancing around a fire. Do you know what that is? That's just not them having a good time. A rain dance or any of those dances are pagan dances according to the beat of that drum. And that produces the rhythm. And then eventually, they do it long enough and they're in altered states of consciousness. That's what all pagans do. I know that sounds politically incorrect, but that's what the American Indian was doing. That's what uh, the ancient Africans were doing. I'm sorry. That's what the Mayans, the Aztecs. You ever, you ever see the movie Apocalypto? Holy smokes. Oh, man. And so it was all of that, right? So, so in, in, in the church services, when you hear a very deep bass, boom, 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 boom. Either someone's ignorant or someone knows what they're doing with that beat. That's what they've studied. Uh, I went on the program with Jan Markell to talk about this a couple years ago, and boy, it lit a fire, man, because it indicted a lot of people, and a lot of people are not paying attention. That's fine if they're, if they're ignorant because they're not paying attention, but I've done the research. I know what I'm talking about. And so uh, what do we keep? We keep it, uh, Eric knows, or Bruce, what do we keep the decibels at? About 80, yeah, about 80, uh, maximum. Uh, and so Bruce is a professional sound guy, and he knows. But beyond that, you get up there, it messes people up. I'm not saying you're going to go to a concert, and, you're gonna li- and it's loud, and you're going to go into all the city. I'm not saying that, okay? Don't get that wrong. Um, but it, it, it produces hypersuggestibility sometimes in people, okay? So any other questions? I know we went stray on music, but... You can see it. Okay. Uh, B, he promotes attraction to falsehood by teaching a false lifestyle. Via the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Now, he promotes attraction to falsehood by teaching a false lifestyle. What do you mean? Well, obviously, the Bible teaches a certain lifestyle, right? That's righteous and holy and according to God's will. And so, obviously, in order to get people to do the opposite and to disobey God, you have to put some attraction into it. That's why the scriptures in Hebrews chapter 11 says there's pleasure in sin. 
And because of that pleasure in sin, that's the attractant. That's the bait, that it's attractive. It does something to you. And so, if I'm gonna attract you to a false lifestyle, the first thing I gotta do is make it pleasurable for you. If I can make it pleasurable for you, then you will do it. And even if it gives you temporary relief, you will do it because you'll just keep coming back to it, which forms addictions, right? So in any lifestyle, there's an attractant. Now, here's the thing. Is it purely hedonistic? Maybe. Sometimes it's just purely purely hedonistic. People wanting to feel good. Yeah. But... People also want to feel good in other ways, okay? It's not just simply pleasure. They want to feel good in other ways. Like, I want to feel good about myself because I feel bad or whatever. I feel guilty or whatever. I want to, um, I want to feel good that people like me. I want to feel good because um, I, I, I'm tired of rejection. I don't want to be rejected, and, and we can understand at that point why that would be attractive. Well, if you do this, then you'll get what you're looking for. And so sometimes it's not flat-out sin. It's just something deep. Uh, uh, let me say uh, the word is a, a deprivation in the person. And the person is looking to feel that deprivation with something that makes them feel whole again, feel human again feel wanted, feel loved, feel valued. None of those are bad things, right? But then to get them over to this falsehood and and false lifestyle, well, if you want it, and it can be yours, you have to do that, and then you can get it. Now, here's the thing. When you look at the actual sin, you're like, I don't understand why anyone would do such a thing. Why would someone shoot heroin in their veins? It doesn't even appeal to me. But what is it? It's not that. What is it? It's coming from the deprivation, right? They want to feel again. That's why these people cut themselves, right? Why do they cut themselves? They don't feel inside. They're numb. They've shut off their emotions, and, and you can do that when you've been traumatized. You'll actually learn to shut off your emotions. But you shut off your emotions and remain in that state, you will be very isolated inside. You will feel outside of your body many times. Not outer body experience, but you won't feel connected to yourself anymore. And you don't feel anything. When you don't feel anything in order to be like a human and feel something, that's why they cut themselves. To at least say, do I still feel anymore because I'm so numb inside? And hence, they start cutting. So Satan offers, I will feel that deprivation if you will just practice this lifestyle and you can get it satisfied. Now, that's very appealing because here's the thing, which you understand. Satan, even though he's producing a counterfeit, it does have the experience in it. Otherwise, the person wouldn't do it. So when the person does their first hit of heroin, it does feel good. It does remove their bad memories. It makes them feel on cloud nine. 
So Satan doesn't tempt with something that doesn't work, it, but it's only temporary and it's dangerous. Does that make sense? It's dangerous and it's temporary, but it has to have the element that it does temporarily take away that pain. Otherwise, it doesn't work. So with all of this attraction to, you like, well, I can't believe someone would get into this kind of lifestyle. I can't believe someone would get into transgenderism. Now, barring the, the grooming that's going on with kids and the kids don't even know better, you know, what's happening with these adults, let's take that out of the equation. Let's talk about somebody that says they want to go into transgender. They want to, a man wants to become a girl or a woman and vice versa. Where is the deprivation? You would not, you need to know where the deprivation is at to understand the solution to somebody that believes they should be transgender and they believe they were in a, the wrong body. What is the deprivation? They're not accepted typically for who they are. Somebody has rejected them somewhere, somehow. It always comes back to rejection and Satan knows how to play that game. So when they're rejected, whether it's a father, a mother, a teacher, their brothers and sisters, or school kids that they play with, whatever, it comes from rejection. And then what they realize is that, okay, I'm being rejected for a reason. I must be this way. I must have this problem. And it's them, them thinking that. And so Satan is coming saying, in this community, you will be accepted. In this area of society, you will be, they will not frown upon you. But all you have to do, though, is step into that immorality, and then you can experience the acceptance that you've been looking for. And what is the, the LGBT mafia? And I'm talking about the, 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 the group, not individuals. I'm talking about the mafia. What is their main goal for society? For everyone to accept them, even if I have to force you. So when they force acceptance, they feel good about themselves. It's not about wanting to be a guy, wanting to be a girl. It's about acceptance. And no medical or, 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 or counselors want to deal with it. They, the counselors know but they know they'll lose their license if they try to do, you know, reparative therapy on people like that, right? That you can survive. You can actually come out of that, and through Christ, you can get free of this. There's no doubt. We've had many success stories, but they won't tell them that. They just say, you're born that way, or you, God put you in the wrong body, or, what, you know, whatever they come up with, um, and, and they don't realize it's about acceptance. That's all it is. So Satan plays that. So you think, wow, that is such a harmful lifestyle to get in. Why would anyone do that? But the, 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 Satan knows the deep-seated needs in the human being. And that's how he lures them into it is because of these core issues. If you don't know your core issues, that's how you'll get led astray. What are my core issues? I need a sense of belonging. I need acceptance. I need unconditional love. I need forgiveness. I need a place where there's mercy. I need a place where there's grace. I need a place where there's truth. 
I need a place where I can't be betrayed. I need a place where I can be protected. All that stuff, I can just keep going down the line. But at the end of the day, only Christ can, can give you that. And that's what the truly everyone's looking for. But Satan says, no, you'll find it here, but you have to practice this lifestyle in order to get that. He's got him. He's got him. It's all traced down to core issues. In every counseling situation, it's a core issue that you're working on. It's not tangential issues. Like if, 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 um, if you think it's just, well, just stop doing that. Well, then, that, okay, I'll stop doing that. That'll work for a time, because you're, but that doesn't address the core issue. The core, that's why we, our, our schools produce monsters. Our schools produce monsters because they never get to the core issues of where values come from or where morality comes from. They never address that. They think morality comes from the government. That's, that's really what they do. But if the ki kids were taught core issues of right and wrong, oh man, you see a completely different society. If they were taught by teachers, this is where you get love and this is where you get acceptance through Jesus Christ. This is where you get unconditional love through Jesus Christ. No, where they'd say that, oh, you're gonna be, you, you, you get it from the LGBT community. You get it from critical race theory. You get it from Black Lives Matter. That's where you get it from. So it's just all substitutes, right? Okay, any other questions on that? Clear as mud, right? Next thing. Satan's work in relationship to unbelievers. Satan has power over death of unbelievers, okay? Because of Messiah's death, the Messiah now has the keys of death. Revelation 1.18, Messiah clearly states, I was dead, and behold, I have the keys of Hades and death. What does keys represent in the Bible? Keys represent authority. Um, as Messiah, he gained the authority over death by his own death, according to Hebrews 2 and Revelation chapter 1. Okay, so we're talking about the God-man. Now, God controls life and death. We understand that. But the right of authority, Messiah now has. Okay, that's why he says, I have the power over Hades. Hades is the underworld, and I have the power over death. So what does that imply? It implies this. As a believer, you are protected physically from Satan, demons, fallen angels, physically. They cannot kill you. They cannot touch you, physically, okay? Can they torment you? Yes. Can they harass you? Yes. Can they do all those kinds of things? Yes. They can't touch you with death because Messiah has that authority now. And so Satan has no power over you, except in one case, in one case, Satan can kill the believer. And it's the sin unto death that first John talks about. Remember the sin unto death? People say, what is the sin unto death? What? And they make it up. They make it up. The sin unto death is easy. It's a, it's a death that will happen to the believer when they do certain things and they're kicked out of the church and excommunicated. At that point, the protection of the Messiah is withdrawn and Satan can have his way with them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. 
So that's the one exception. If a believer monkeys around enough and they get to the third level of Matthew 18 and the church excommunicates them out, they are on Satan's territory at that point and then he can do what he wills. And what, what does Paul say? So that his flesh may be destroyed, but his soul saved. Not talking about salvation. I'm talking about him coming back in repentance. So there's a big deal, okay? This is a big deal because unbelievers are not aware that Satan has the power of death over them. Those involved in Satanism, those involved in witchcraft and paganism, they usually end up dead, committing suicide or doing something crazy. And, and so they're used as a toy in the occult, and a lot of them end up dead because of that. And obviously, um, there's a lot of, what do you want to say, uh, looking for words. It's pretty scary to know that when you're not a believer and you're on in sorry in the kingdom of darkness that you're that vulnerable that you are completely without protection that protection that messiah gained is not for unbelievers it's only for those who believe and it is a big deal uh, when you have stared the, down uh, demons and people and you see the hatred in their eyes that they would tear and rip you to part and rip you to shreds in this in a second and you start realizing that the only reason they're not touching you is because of Messiah's authority on you of having the keys of death and Hades, it's a big win. Because you see right in their eyes that they would love to shred us. I mean, it's a hatred that's beyond human. They would do it, but we can't be touched. We're not to take that arrogantly. We're not to use that wrongly, but we are to know our authority in Christ gives us protection from the demonic realm. And you have to be able to know that, use it, and understand it. Um, any questions about this? Is that a freak out? Usually people haven't heard that. But if you understand Hebrews 2 and Revelation 1, what, what is the idea of key? Uh, if, if through Christ's death, here's a question. If through Christ's death he was able to secure by authority the keys, the authorities of Hades and death. Hades, the place of the dead, okay? When he says, says that in Revelation 1, where was it before? Why did he get it? Why didn't he have it before? Why, didn't he, why did he get it only after the resurrection and his death, obviously? See, it's another thing that goes into Revelation chapter 5 of who has the power to open the seals, who has the authority to open the seals. And he says, I looked at all creation and under, and, uh, under the earth and in the earth and uh, above the earth, and I couldn't find anybody but behold the Lamb of God as if he had been slain. The Lamb has the authority not only to open the seals, but he has the authority over Sheol and death. Where was it at before he took those keys? Who had it? If Satan had it, how did he get it? From Adam? You see what I'm saying? 
It had to come from somewhere. He arrested it, the Messiah. Remember, when you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about the God-man. So when I'm referring to him as the Messiah, I'm referring to the Son of Man. The Son of Man accomplished this, right? He's the God-man, and God has all authority. We know that, right? But as Messiah, he gained this through his death. He could only get it through his death. He tasted death and went through death, okay? And so was able to get this authority given to him. So did Satan have it before? And who, you know? The father gave it to him? I'm letting you chew on that for a little bit. Who had it? Who had power over death? Did Adam have it at one point? And then he got usurped? And then he got usurped and then Satan usurped him and became the god of this world? Yes? Okay. Stay with it. Stay with it. You're on. You're tracking. You're tracking. See if I can find it. Keep thinking, keep thinking. Come on, where is that? Where is it at? I know it's somewhere here. Okay, got it. Uh, Colossians 2. Gosh, I can't even read this with my glasses on. I got to get stronger ones, man. What is your prescription strength? Blind? Mine is nearly blind. I can't even see with the glasses. Okay. All right, sorry about that, guys. Verse 15, Colossians 2, 15. Having disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle triumphing over them in it. Disarmed them of what? The power of death and shield. Colossians 2, verse 15. He disarmed them. He took something away from them, and he took the power of death over people and Sheol. Now, what is this thing about Sheol? What what kind of power is that? Well, this is not usually taught because people don't want to go into this too deep. But there's a when you you uh, let me read it, and this will help maybe connect some dots. This is, uh, yeah, that's the the Hebrews passage. Uh, What does it say in there, Bill? Yeah. Power of death, yes. Yeah. 
Excellent, yeah. So, so Hebrews 2 clearly says that Satan had it. Colossians 2 says he was disarmed. Well, when did he get it? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, Uh, starting verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat the dust all the days of your life. That's a Hebrew idiom. Now, we understand that from like a snake standpoint that, you know, he lost his legs, he's on the belly, and, and eating the dust is an idiom. It's a curse. And what it is saying in Genesis 3, when you dig deeper in the, the Hebrew understanding, is that you wanted to exalt yourself above my throne. Is that what you wanted? Cursed are you, you are now Lord of the dead. That's how he got it. He is Lord of the dead. He's the Lord over Hades and Sheol. So you wanted life, you're not getting it life. All you're getting is death. And I, I appoint you as Lord over death. That's what you will be known as. That's what that passage actually means. Now, we'd see that evidence in the serpent itself physically, right? And that the serpent, you know, be, loses its leg, whether it was bipedal or, or quadrupedal, whatever. We see that. But the Hebrew is an idiom. You are now Lord of death. So that's where Satan got it. He's had it ever since. So when Messiah comes to free us, he frees us from sin and... Thank you. You Connecting dots now? Perfect. You got it. That's what this connection is. And so, if you were to die, the Lord has authority over that. He is the one who calls you home. It's not Satan. But the outer world out there, they have no clue about this. They are playing with a loaded handgun, and they're spinning the thing, playing Russian roulette, because they are completely without protection from Satan, killing them. That's how dangerous it is to be an unbeliever. And if he kills them, and they don't get saved, guess what? Now, God, again, is overarching everything, and he's uh, superintendent and, and, and supreme over everything. And again, he, he allows what he wants to allow and, and doesn't allow. And he, if, if Satan takes someone's life, believe it or not, that person had enough chances to come to faith in the Messiah. God gave him enough. And then, obviously, um, through his permissive will, Satan is able to kill the person if Satan decides to do that. But it has to be under the permissive will of God. Um, so if that makes sense. Okay, any questions before we take a break? Yes. Let's get him a mic. So, oh, sorry. Uh, so if Satan hates humans so much, why doesn't he just kill all the unbelieving? Uh, yeah. Because, um, it, well, he's, he's doing a pretty good job of it so far, but why didn't he just slaughter? Because God doesn't permit it. 
And so, so you have to understand that um, when I'm talking about God's sovereign, there, you have to understand that there's several wills of God. There's God's sovereign will, right? That means that he's going to accomplish certain things, guys, no matter what. Like, for instance, the second coming and the setting up the kingdom is God's sovereign will, right? It's going to come. There's, that's it. It's coming, right? There's another will of God called the moral will of God, okay? What is the moral will? Well, the moral will is disclosed in the Bible and tells you how to behave, right? That is the moral will. But let me ask you, is the moral will the same as the sovereign will? No, because, the, because between the, the moral will of God, which this is what he wants humans to operate in right here, and the sovereign will of God, this will happen. In the middle is called the permissive will of God. Okay? He, a good passage to describe that is, is something like this one. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That is called the permissive will. He wants all to be saved, right? He desires all to be saved, but his permissive will says not all will be saved because I, I, I won't violate their freedom. That's called the permissive will. So when you're dealing with Satan killing people, he has to submit, first of all, to the sovereign will of God. If sovereign, if sovereign will of God tells him don't do it, then he can't do it. If the permissive will says, yeah, you may, then he'll do it, even though it's an immoral act. I know that sounds weird, right? God doesn't cause evil. God allows it through his permissive will, okay? So that's why Satan can do what he did to Job. That was a permissive will, right? Um, the abortion, that's good. He, that's a permissive will. God has his moral will, but he knows because of freedom, people won't act inside of that moral will, if that makes sense. So you have to understand three wills of God like that. And so, if, if so like, like you mentioned, the, the, the hypothetical, why does Satan just start rampaging, killing every human being? Because God won't let him. He only allows what he, he, Satan's on a leash, basically, in that sense. He does. And that's what we talked about. He's, he's, he's lost it. He thinks he's going to win at the end of the day. That's why he's still fighting. That's why he's doing what he's doing. Any others? Michael, back there, we got, he's a mic, my friends. I was, I was going to say, would you say another interaction of that would be when uh, Jesus was talking to Peter about Satan had requested to sift him like wheat? Or yes, that's a like request. Another? Yes, that has to be requested. Just like with Job, it had to be requested. That's the difference with believers, right? That, that believers, if Satan's going to do anything or God allows it, it comes through the filter of Jesus. He has to allow it. And will Jesus sometimes let that happen to you? Yes, but it's under the control of Jesus, right? Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Anchor Bible Study. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with Pastor Brandon's Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Discipleship. It's a catalog of all Pastor Brandon's discipleship lessons spanning the last 10 years and onward. If you enjoy this message and would like to hear them, 
please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.